0: attention this morning to Philippians chapter 3 verse 17 and following and guys in the booth can we turn on the tv up here as well please is that it doesn't work okay sometimes it's on sometimes it's not and that's okay appreciate it thank you uh, I, you don't know our av people do a great job uh they do a very good job i appreciate amy and andy and uh, uh very grateful for them so thank you guys uh Philippians 3 17, 4 through 3 our title today will be gospel centered citizenship i bet you guessed what the first two words were didn't you gospel-centered citizenship. Uh, Someone asked the other day, how much longer do we have in in, uh, Philippians? Uh, We have this week and two more weeks. And after that, we will go into some questions. Many of you had questions, the Ask the Pastor questions, uh, just Bible questions. We'll go through some of those uh, for about a month, and then we'll go to the book of Jonah. Jonah. Uh, prayerfully, I'll have one of my mentors uh, here on August 30th to kind of fill the pulpit, give me a break. Uh, we will see. You pray for him, but that's where we're heading in the next few weeks. And uh, thanks for sludging through sometimes some hard texts in Philippians as we go through. You know, I think it's very telling. Uh, many of you have heard about this test before, but the American Civics Test. If you want to be an American citizen, one of the tests you have to pass is a 100-question tests about America. And the great Jay Leno, I say great in the sense because he asked a lot of good questions. Many of you remember Jay Leno's Jaywalking, where he would ask questions to people on the street that are normal, everyday questions to see what they would say. And he took four questions from the American Civics Test that I want you to hear. And uh, I'm going to ask for your help for the answer. So you'll answer first, and I'll give you the correct answer. Hopefully you get the correct answer. Here's the first question. He asked this lady on the screen. He said, what country did we fight in the Revolutionary War? Congregation? England, her answer, France. What year was the Declaration of Independence signed? Congregation? Yes, her answer, 1815. Uh, It gets worse. What month of the year do we vote for a new president every four years? Congregation? November. Hers? September. (laughs) And here's the telling sign. I don't know if she's ever voted before. Who elects Congress? Congregation? The people, some of you are hedging on this. We'll have our civics class in the room next to the door hereafter. Uh, she said, the president. Uh, this is a normal person on the streets. This is a real picture of her. She's trying to find where France is at in this photo. You just have to watch the clip. It's a, it's a hilarious thing. But isn't it telling that most people can't even tell you with their basic facts about America? And that's, a, that's a, another sermon for another time But I I wonder as Christians, though, if we were to ask the question, if we were to take out a piece of paper, many of you would swag, you hate that pop uh, quiz feeling, and you'd get out a piece of paper, and we would ask from the pulpit today, list out the hundred first Bible verses that you memorize. Memorize hundred Bible verses, spit them out on paper. Or tell me all the character of God in one piece of paper and outline, God is holy, God is just, God is all that thing. I don't even know if I could do that. But what if we asked you that question, and the requirement to be a Christian was you had to fill out that information? How many of y'all would pass? <laughs> and I'm only raising my hand as an example, not as a truth. So, you know, isn't that something? We, we, we laugh, and we rightfully so, at the people of these videos who can't get American things right. But what if the rules that were that if we failed, we couldn't be a citizen of heaven? I'm grateful, though, that in Peter, 1 Peter 1, it says this. Peter said, our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and it's reserved in heaven for you. Not because of anything you've done or questions you've answered, but because of faith in Jesus Christ. That's what makes you a citizen of heaven, isn't it? It's not something that you have to memorize. It's someone you know. And if you're a true Christian here today, you must know that you are a citizen. You are a citizen of a heavenly kingdom Mark read about. Heaven is for real. Not because a little kid tells you it's so, but because Jesus Christ came from heaven to tell you that it was so. Heaven it will be full of thankful people who say, Lord, why me? But hell will be full of people demanding fairness. But let me tell you, in hell, they are getting the fairness that they wanted their sin. In heaven, I don't know if all our questions will be answered, but one thing seems to me, that once we see Jesus, all those questions won't matter because we're a citizen of his kingdom. How do you live as a good earthly citizen here on this earth to be heavenly minded? How do you be a gospel-centered citizen? What would it matter heaven matter to us if we didn't have hope for today? But one thing I'll tell you is this. The big idea I want to get across is this very thing. It's very simple today. Very straightforward, but here it is. The gospel that leads to eternal heaven one day leads to personal and church wide that's everyone, holiness today. You see, the more heavily minded you are, the more earthly good you are. Would you agree with that? The more spiritually minded we are, you are, I am, the more heavenly minded we become. We are earthly members of a heavenly kingdom and heavenly citizens of an earthly kingdom. And I'm so glad that spiritual growth isn't measured on some sort of heavenly growth chart, but by our increasing truth in Christ and the gospel. Friends, I'm so grateful we don't have to pass a test of questions to get to heaven. Now, there's some real things you have to believe. You have to believe Jesus is Lord and Savior. He died for your sins. He rose again. He is what he says he is. There's things you need to believe. But aren't you grateful that if you fail the test, that God calls you to be his own, not because of you, but all because of him? Amen? Friends, what's it mean to be a gospel-centered citizen? I'll give you four things today. A Baptist preacher has four points. Hope you brought your lunch. Four things. Paul tells us in this passage. He says, a gospel-centered citizen will walk after a godly example, will wait for a coming Savior, will witness to a wonderful salvation, and will work, lastly, for united fellowship. The last few weeks we've been going through the book of Philippians chapter 3. We've been looking at the chapter where Paul was giving his resume. You remember that from a couple of weeks ago where he said, I used to do these things, but now it's all Christ." Last week, we looked at how he was straining with every muscle he had, like a runner to the tape, trying to live out what he said. And there were some people there, the, the Judaizers, the people who said, well, if you're not perfect on this side of heaven, Paul, then you've missed the boat. You're not a heavenly citizen unless you do everything perfectly. Paul said, no, I'm not perfect, but I'm striving towards that goal. And what he's going to show you today is all these things point to one thing, is that we're straining forward to now not only talk about it, but to live it out as a gospel-centered citizen of this earth. With that in mind, if you're able, if you'll join me in standing for the reading of God's word, Philippians three seventeen through chapter 4 and verse 3. will be reading out of the New American Standard today. Brethren or brothers and sisters, literally, Join me in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you serve and have in us. For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite or belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we are eagerly awaiting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Love this verse. Who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of His glory, by the exertion of the power He has even to subject all things to Himself. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, or brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord my beloved, I urge Judea and I urge Sinkti to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. May God bless the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. Father, we are so thankful, so thankful, Lord, that you are our Lord. And we're so thankful we have a church to worship in and we always pray that we would walk as a church that's focused on you, your character, and the gospel. That's our prayer. Lord, as we open up your word today, would you give wisdom? It's not my words, Father, I pray. It's not any enthusiasm I have. It's it's your word. It's your spirit. It's only by your strength. May that be the case today. Speak to hearts that you need to speak to, Lord, including my own. May you be honored. May you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. First thing I want you to see, how do you be a gospel-centered citizen? Not just of earth, but also of heaven. What does that mean? Paul tells us first to walk after a godly example. Walk after a godly example. And the first sub-point I'll give you, he says, follow a godly friend. Uh, it's the command of Paul here in verse 17. You'll see it there. He says, join in. That's a command in the, in the Greek. It's, a, it's, a, it's an imperative. He says, brothers, join in following my example. And if you remember last week, we talked about the perfectionists, people who said you can be perfect this side of heaven, and Paul told them, no, you're not perfect this side of heaven, but someday you will be. But he said back in verse 16, if you look there quickly, he says, keep living by the same standard to which you have attained. Paul says, don't just give up if you're not there, keep pressing on. And that rule that you press on with is the Bible. Friends, everything we have and need in the Christian life is right here in this word. Do you believe that? This is God's word. This is everything we need for life and holiness, according to 2 Peter. And by God's grace, the Philippians didn't need merely to follow some abstract instructions. They needed to follow now, put feet to what they're talking about, to imitate Paul. He says, join me in following my example. Was Paul being prideful? Was this a pride streak for him, saying, look, I got it, guys. Follow me. I'm there. Not at all. But here's one thing I want you to learn is Christianity often works by Christians seeing other Christians. Think about that for a second. We all benefit so much when we go from the tell me what to show me how. Maybe you've been in corporate trainings before. You have this week-long indoctrination of company culture, and you get there, and you're just like, show me how to do my job. You guys have been there before, some of you. Some of you are hands-on people. I can tell you all day, but if, until I show you it. So what's the purpose I mean, think about this. Jesus was perfect. He's always been perfect. We'll never be like him this side of heaven. We will be like him someday. But I think sometimes in Christianity, we need to follow someone who's not perfect, but striving for Jesus so we can see how to overcome our imperfections. Christ never pursued perfection. He was always perfect. But in having an example to follow in a godly person, even if they're not perfect, is a good thing. Friends, are you, do you know someone in your life you can look to and say, I want to be like that person? Be like Paul and say, join me. But many people who claim to be Christians today are abandoning their commitment to sound doctrine and walking in this narrow way. People will say, I got Jesus, but I want to do this thing. I got Jesus, I got my fill, now I just want to walk in my own way. And friends, that is the devil's imitation of what we call Christian liberty. If you are not diligently submitting in your mind and your heart and your spirit to the Word of God in everything, that is an example that is not good. It looks attractive, but when you bite into it, there's nothing there. Some people say, well, I'm a Christian and I enjoy freedom in Christ, so that means I'm free to do whatever I want. Ever heard someone say that before? Maybe they don't say it, but you can tell it by their lifestyle. But once again, Paul tells them, It's not free grace to do whatever you want. Yes, you are free in Christ. Thank God we are free in Christ. But that is not the best of both worlds. It doesn't mean we get one hand in the honey of the gospel and one hand in the filth of the world. Those don't mix. If you eat that, yuck, I don't even know. But here's the thing. You can't serve two masters. And Paul says, look, you want to live godly? Follow a godly friend. Follow someone in your life who is godly. Do you know that person in your life you can go to? If you don't know someone, I can point you to several people in this congregation that could fit that thing. And he says, how do you walk as a godly citizen? You you follow a friend. He says, secondly, he says, flee the ungodly fool. Flee the ungodly fool. Look back at verse 18 with me. He says, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you with tears, it's a very key phrase, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul says, pursue Christ-likeness. Be like Christ. But why, Paul? Why? Because here we meet the people in depth who say, I'm a Christian, but walk completely separate from Christianity. These are people who've corrupted the doctrine, the free grace in Christ to do whatever they want. They say they're Christians, but they have seared consciences and they've plunged into sensuality. They've plunged into shamelessness and worldliness. In fact, Paul uses such strong language, we'll see in verse 19, that they're not just out-and-out pagans. These are people who claim to know Jesus Christ. These aren't your garden-variety pagans that you go see on a a street corner in Westport on any given Saturday night, getting drunk as skunks until four in the morning. These are people who say they are Christians, but Paul's going to tell you these people are not Christians. They say they are, but they're not. First, how do I know they're not Christians? Look back at verse 17 and verse 18. Paul uses that word, walk. He uses the word walk according to the pattern in verse 17. Then he contrasts that in verse 18 with the word walk. Secondly, we know that Paul has much emotion here. This is the only time in Scripture we see Paul crying, weeping over the people he's writing about. It's in the present tense. It's not something he cried about in the past. It's something he's crying about the future. It's right when he's writing this letter. His tears are coming down. Why? Because these people are boasting that they know Christ, but they know nothing of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19 again with me. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly or, or, or stomach. Their glory and their shame and their minds are unearthly things. Friends, any old fool, if I can use the phrase, can manage his behavior if he tries hard enough. There's enough plans out there. But only the gospel can change who we are. How do we know this? Because Paul says some several things. He says, look at their destiny. Look at verse 19. He says, their end is destruction. That is the same word used for the word hell. Friends, if you do not believe in an eternal conscious torment of everlasting punishment in hell, then you don't have the God of the Bible. Friends, that is the God we deserve. We're not going to be annihilated one day. We don't just like, go like Casper the ghost all of a sudden and just poof. You're, you're here, there, gone, tomorrow. It is forever. And Paul says their destiny is destruction. He says also their sensuality. Look at this. Whose God is their appetite? A lot of people today says, it feels good, do it, right? Everyone else is doing it. What what are you doing? You're a stick in the mud. What do you mean you can't go do that? Who's Jesus? That's the philosophy they had. And why not? They would say, you're free in Christ. You've You've gotten your injection of Jesus, man. He'll forgive you of everything. And Paul says, don't go there. Their God is their appetite. They love sin like I love pizza. If you want to put it that way. And you know what? They're shameless in it. He goes on. Look at verse 19. Whose glory is their shame? They don't care. They don't care. They flaunt the devil's cheap imitation of what it means to be a Christian and boast in what is there. And they're worldly. They set their minds on earthly things. Their entire disposition is all about the world. It's all about the world. Speaking of food and a connection to this, many of you love Tabasco sauce. Anyone love Tabasco sauce? Some people. You know, pick up a bottle of Tabasco sauce and you'll notice the contents are always the same. You always think about that. But there's one word that often separates Tabasco sauce from every other sauce. It's that they don't color it with that red dye. It's all natural. I just learned this the other day. It's made from the natural red peppers. And the consistency of the story is worth telling. During the harvest time, the workers have a little band on them. You kind of of see it on the screen there. It's that picture over there. They have a band on there called a Baton Rouge. Not the city, but a, a little measuring stick. And each person, that measuring stick is the exact length of the pepper that they must have to make a perfect bottle of Tabasco sauce. It's a very stringent standard. If it's too, long, if it's too short, it doesn't matter. They toss out the pepper. They give it away. They don't use it. But 500,000 bottles of Tabasco sauce are produced every day by that standard. If you don't meet the standard, you're out. They got me thinking, how many people like to take the Tabasco sauce of their Christian life and say, well, God's standard's here, but I, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to throw it out. It doesn't matter anyway. Is that not true? Friends, Christ is both the standard and the model for all of us to follow at all times. When that is done, the beauty of Christianity is experienced at its uttermost. Be very careful here today. If you are a person who says, I love Jesus Christ, but your desire, not, not just one time, but your desire all the time, is to live in the world, can I ask you a question? Do you really know Jesus Christ? It's not that you've backslidden, friend. There's only, if you know Christ, you know Christ. You don't lose your salvation and gain it back tomorrow. Are you in Christ? That is what Paul's saying. Don't follow these people. Jesus walked the way of suffering. Are you willing to do that? Have you counted the cost of Christ? You know, self-indulgence leads to self-destruction, doesn't it? Many of you know that and have seen that in friends' lives. God created us to live for him. Why is Paul telling them this? Because they must be on guard. must constantly be on guard. Friends, if you have a smartphone, guys especially, be very careful. Put an app on there that blocks certain websites. The temptation's too strong. If you know someone who uh, gossips all the time, would you be that safeguard to them and say, is this gossip or are we actually praying for this person? Because friends, there's so many bad examples out there, but Paul says, follow Christ. Forget about yourself by remembering what Christ has done. That's the first point. That's the first point. And he goes on. He says, wait for a coming Savior secondly. Wait for a coming Savior. He says, if you want to be a gospel-centered citizen, you must know that Christ is going to return. First thing you'll see is Jesus will take us home, Paul says in verse 20. Jesus will take us home. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Do any of your Bibles have the word our first? Do any of your Bibles have that? Most of y'all have the word but first in your Bible, I think. Uh, That's very common. But in the Greek, it's a little flipped. Paul uses the word our first here at the very front, and it's very emphatic. He says, look, that's who they are, but our citizenship. You see the contrast there between those false people who say they're Christians and really aren't and those who Paul knows are Christians. He says, our present circumstance is nothing because we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And the Philippians, again, understood this. You remember from past times we talked about Philippi, how Philippi was taken over by the Romans many years before this, and they had become Roman citizens just by being conquered by the Romans. And back in that day, to be a Roman citizen was a great thing. You would trade your life, serve your life away to be a Roman citizen. And Paul says, brothers, you may glory in your Roman citizenship, but remember, recognize that Christ is coming again, and that is your true home. We ought to live holy lives of citizens of this kingdom, he says, because you've been born from above. What are we waiting for? He goes on in verse 20, he says, we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, I think there's a truth in this that you can find. Heaven is reserved only for those who know they don't deserve it. Heaven is reserved for only those who know they don't deserve it. In contrast to these false teachers. Paul says the true believer waits, anticipates like a kid at Christmas morning. You remember those days? Some of you are grandparents and you just give gifts and everything. You remember that feeling you get on Christmas morning when you wake up and you're just, I can't, I just can't wait. And some of you have woke up before and snuck out when your parents were asleep. You know how that is, but that's the joy that comes from knowing Christ more than that an internal joy. These people that say they're Christians set their minds on earthly things, but Paul reminds us in Colossians 3 to set our mind on things above. That is where our Savior's coming from. And if if Christ is our treasure, our hearts will be with Him and our treasure will be in heaven. We will be focused upon heavenly interests and governed and regulated by His purposes. Are you ready for Christ's return? You know, some of you say, someone asked me actually the other day in conversation, said, Pastor, is it okay for us to pray for Christ to return? Yes, it is. It's called Maranatha. You've heard that before. It means, come, Lord Jesus, come. For, yes, pray for Christ to return, but let's be diligent to do our work while, he, while we're here. So he says, Jesus will take you home in verse 20, but he also says, Jesus gives you hope. Look back at verse 21 with me. He says, God will transform our lowly body. Anyone have a lo- feel like you have a lowly body here? (laughs) I do sometimes. To be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. When Christ appears, what is it that Paul emphasizes that he will do? There's many things, but first, one thing Christ will do is he will transform our body to be like his. Friends, I think it's so key, another lesson I think, faith practical thing you can take away is what we believe about the future shapes about how we behave in the present for Christ. Ever thought about that? Would you know if, uh, you know, I've talked to several people. Natalie and I had this. We dated long distance. We dated, she was in Oklahoma. I was here. You know, there was a certain thing that my focus was on marriage. I can't remember working at National American University and I was an admissions enroller and I had good numbers two months before the wedding. Two weeks before the wedding, my boss came to me and said, Darren, you're not enrolling people like you used to. What's going on? I'm getting married. That's what was going on. And you know, that's the same thing Paul says. What we believe about the future shapes about how we behave in the present. Since Adam, our body has been in decay. But just as Christ's resurrection is guaranteed that we will be resurrected, brought back, so his resurrected and glorified body is a guarantee we will have a resurrected and glorified body. And what is our Savior coming to do? The very nature of his final work means we will be, have sin-free, glorified bodies. And all those questions start coming. Will there be dogs in heaven? Will there be cats in heaven? Will I play baseball Look, all I know is Jesus is going to be there. That's enough for me. That's all I know. He will purge me from my sin. Oh, hallelujah. Bring it on. That is the greatest thing. 1 John says it this way. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. 1 John 3, 2. Because we will see him just as he is. would not that going to be a glorious thing to see Christ just as he is? And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. There's a true story that came out of a restaurant in, in Massachusetts, uh, I can't even say the word, the place where Boston's at, I can never say the state, Massachusetts, yeah, 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 I can't say it, whatever, you can help me afterwards, true story, it came out of a waitress there, and uh, her name tag read beautiful, that was her name, tag at least, when asked about it, she admitted and said that her real name was something else, her a- name was actually Dorothy, and said, but if people are going to holler at me all day, I can at least be called something when they holler at me. Hey, beautiful, get over here. So it may, makes sense to me. But you know, when Jesus returns, there will be no mistaking what and who belongs to his kingdom or those that follow him. It will be as clear as day because we will see him just as he is, just as he sees us, just as we are. Christian, the glory of the next world should never fade from your mind. should never fade from your mind. How do you walk as a gospel-centered citizen? Think about the magnificence of of the one on the throne. Start there. Praise Him today as the powerful Creator and the coming King. He will return and show all that He is is truth. Look back at chapter 2 just quickly. This isn't in my notes. I didn't plan to go here, but it's so apparent. Go back to chapter 2, verse verse 9. For this reason... Also, God highly exalted him, that's Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, and to the glory of God the Father, his name will be praised. They will confess it. What a day that will be. What are you hoping for that will change your life today, Christian? It's Christ. What's going to shape you right now? It's looking forward to him, but don't become so heavenly mind you're no earthly good, but focus on that. And in heaven, you will be given a body that will not die. What a great thing. What a great, great thing. And some of you are fearful of death. Even strong Christians, I've done funerals where people at the very end are fearful of death. Christian, you have nothing to fear at death. There's, no, uh, there's nothing that happens. It's uh, not under God's control. Death is at his bidding. One day, God will command death to bring us home. That is our hope. That is our glory. God's arm is not too short that if you believe on him here, he's going to let you go. God's arm's not too short, that, hey, I'm just joking. Uh, I'm just being sarcastic. I'm not really your God. No. Muslims believe that. They believe that Allah, even if they believe that they're good enough to get to heaven, that Allah can look at them and say, I'm having a bad day. Get away from my presence. That's not our God. Our God is faithful, and He will take hold of you today and forevermore. Amen. That is our God. How do you walk as a heavenly citizen, gospel-centered citizen? You, you follow good examples. You go and you look and wait for the coming Savior. Number three is this. This is a very short point. But we witness to a wonderful salvation. And let me just stop here and say, praise the Lord. We're in the final chapter of Philippians. You just crossed the threshold, guys. There is, we are laying this plane soon. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, whom I long to see my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord my beloved. After all this, what remains to be said? What's the conclusion? That's what Paul says. As I've said before, if you see that word, maybe you've heard this before, you see that word therefore, you always need to ask the question, what? What is it therefore? Well, that's what we're going to look at. The world, the first application point I give to you is this the world says, believe in yourself. Jesus said, deny yourself. If we were to believe that Jesus is coming back, it starts by believing what he said. Would you agree with that? Because there are many people who live in a way so as to deny their faith, yet still believe they're in Jesus Christ. And because of that, each ends in destruction. And so he tells them, stand firm. And I think this is why Paul heaps on this personal affection, this love language. He says, beloved, brothers, sisters, those whom I long to see, I may not see. Remember, Paul's in prison. He says, look, I may not see you now, but someday I will see you up there uh, in heaven because you are trusting in Christ, my joy, my crown. And I can imagine him looking in the distance or however that worked in the, in the basement, uh, the cellar of uh, uh, the Roman jail. He's looking in the distance. He's crying because he's those, there's people who say they're Christian but have never truly believed Christ. And there's those he sees, the faces of those who are in Christ, and he just cries. Thank the Lord that he sees these people. You know, that's why if you're traveling on vacation, I would encourage you to find a like-minded church. You say, I don't, I'm in a city far, far away. Boy, you've never felt right at home among other Christians, have you? Many of you know that feeling. If you've ever traveled overseas and you find a church that preaches the gospel, it's just like you walked into Tower View Baptist Church or whatever your home church is. It's how Paul felt even in jail, separated from them. Paul can barely handle the thought, because someday he will see them. And he says, "Look, he says, "No, not just about you, but it's about Christ. It's about someday about Christ." And the second point I'll give to you, I think we get from this passage as we witness to a wonderful salvation is this: If a pursuit of holiness isn't happening in your life, it's probably because it's not Jesus and gospel you're centered on, but an idea of Jesus and the gospel. Isn't it true? that you can have so much head knowledge about Jesus in your head but never actually love the person there? Many of you, many of you uh, young men used to have crushes on teachers in school, didn't you? And you thought, well, man, if I could just be 18 and marry this person, it would be the greatest thing ever. And then you see them and, and they get mad at you and you're like, oh, I, that crush goes out the way. You all have had this happen before. You wrote those notes and you said, check this box if you like me. Never liked that idea. It just didn't seem to work. Check this box if you like me. Friends, what we know about that is sometimes we have an idea, we have a, a fascination, a, a passion, a, a lust after things. Friends, if, you, if your life is not centered on holiness, then you may not have the true Jesus in your mind. You may have an idea of who Jesus is. May it never be said from the pulpit today that we ever hear of anyone here living in sin so bad that they, they deny the Savior they say. Christian, don't slack in your pursuit of holiness. You have been given a wonderful salvation. Press on and lay a hold of Christ. And amidst every attack, amidst every bad example, amidst every voice calling you to stop, stop doing that. Stop being holy. Stop seeking Jesus. You remember that this world is not your home because you're a citizen in heaven. And like a good soldier, what does Paul tell him? He says to stand firm. Press On, stand firm. Hold on to Christ. I would pray this morning as we witness to a wonderful salvation. That as we stand firm, that we are praying for our friends, our neighbors, anyone in our path that does not know Jesus, that they would know Jesus Christ. Pray that God would turn them inside out, upside down for His glory. Don't just pray; it's all roses for them. Pray. This is going to sound crazy. I don't mean this means spiritedly but pray that God would use whatever circumstance he sees fit that they have to ask that question, who do you say that I am? Some of you know that people that come to Christ often go through the most hard, difficult circumstances, don't they? You say, I I can't pray that for my neighbor. Look, if the greatest thing that they lose on this earth is is health, the most thing they're going to lose in eternity is hell. Pray for them. You are witness to a wonderful salvation remember what Christ has done for you. Last point is this. He goes on, how do you live as a gospel-centered citizen? You work for a united fellowship. Look back at verse 2 with me. You work for a united fellowship. Chapter 4 verse 2. I urge this is the second command of the passage, I urge Udia and I urge Sinkti to live in harmony in the Lord, in the Lord. Love that name. Again, there's another name if you're naming baby Sinkti or Udia are, are two biblical names that you could name them. Friends, this is a command from Paul. We don't know the individuals to who Paul's writing. We do know, we do not know, rather, the cause of their disagreement. I don't know. If they had carpet in the day and they didn't, it maybe it was a disagreement of the color of the carpet. We've heard stories about that. Maybe it was because she said something, or I, I don't know. Fill in the blank. Her meal wasn't as good as her meal. Or Think about all the things that have split churches. Many of you have been to churches that have split for some pretty selfish things before. I don't know what was going on. We really don't know. But what we need, do know, and the most important thing is, is that they had been involved with Paul. They had been serving the gospel under Paul's ministry. And Paul wants them to do one thing. He wants them to have the same mind. Have the same mind. Agree. To be of one mind. To be of one common purpose. Mark, thank you for leading that with that. That was part of our, our song today. Be united in purpose. Christian, is there someone in this church whom you need to reconcile? Say, so Darren, you talked about that like the first two chapters. We talk about it because the Bible talks about it. Let me say it again. Is there someone in this church that 5, 10, 15, five days ago said something, did something, looked at you the wrong way, didn't shake your hand, they didn't dry their hands in the bathroom, and they cleaned their hands, and their hands were wet? I don't know. Sometimes we get petty with things. I'm just being honest with you. Is there someone in here that you need to reconcile with? Tower View member, is there someone in this church you can help? to reconcile with someone else. You know they're here, someone else is over there, but somehow you're in the middle of the two. Are you praying about how God might use you to bring them together? Because we who are forgiven by God, God have no right not to forgive others. We don't know what it's about, but we do know secondly and lastly this, we share the same ministry. We share the same ministry. Look at verse three one more time. Love this verse. If you're an underliner. It's a great verse to underline indeed, true companion. Let me just stop right there. Who's Paul talking to? Paul just goes from talking third party about Udia and Sinkti, and then he says, indeed, true companion. We'll get there, but hold that thought. He says, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Look, we don't know who this true companion is or fellow friend, as some would say, It probably refers to that guy back in chapter 2, Epaphroditus, who was traveling and and got so sick. He was so worried about the Philippians and about Paul. He was sick. We don't know. But we do know that Paul desired him to help these ladies. He was the middle person between them. Why? He tells you why. Because their names are written in the book of life. What is the book of life? It's the record of names, those whom God had determined to save from the coming judgment. This is a record of the people who've been reconciled to God and should not be at war with one another. And Paul calls out these ladies by name from the pulpit, so to speak, with this letter. This letter wasn't just read by uh, Epaphroditus or the pastors of the church. Guys, they would take this letter and they would read it before the church. I don't know if you can picture this in your mind's eye, but can you imagine these two ladies sitting opposite ends of the thing, and one of them looks back at the other one and they kind of scowls. I mean just think about it. you've got to put these things to pictures. But this shows the importance Paul placed on this issue, and it reminds us the need to have a heavenly, gospel-centered citizenship perspective of all of life in the church. We' are to remember that the work is the Lord's, and the people are His as well. I've known so many pastors, especially, who love ministry. They would die on the altar of ministry, but they don't love people. Don't call that person to be your pastor. Look, if you love the work of ministry, but you don't love the people you're ministering to, how does that work out? And Paul tells them, look, you guys are in this gospel thing together. We may not agree on many things, but we can agree on the gospel, and we look forward to spending eternity together. That is the perspective that he has. If you're not a Christian here today, can I just be very honest with you? Your name is not written in the book of life. Your name is not. You can't write your name as only God can do that through Jesus Christ. There are other books that you may have, evidence books. If you could take your book of life and say, well, I did this good thing there and this good thing and this good thing and, and hand it off to God, he would throw it away and burn it in his all-consuming fire that Mark read in Hebrews twelve twenty nine. Friends, we are guilty if you're not a Christian here today. None of us have lived outside of Christ in a manner consistent with God's requirements. We have earned His wrath, and when the books are closed, there's no more hope. Go read Revelation 20 if you need a confirmation of that. But praise God, He's God of hope. Jesus took on human flesh and lived a perfect life, and the book of Jesus' life shows He did nothing damning. He did nothing imperfect. He was totally innocent. Yet Jesus offered His life on the cross. He took our punishment. He exhausted, absorbed all God's wrath for us on the cross. He proved his victory over death by resurrecting from the dead. And he calls you now, if you're not a Christian here today, and I love you when I say this. He calls you to repent, not to do a 12-step program or or, or there's nothing wrong with those to help people with addictions, but there's no 12-step program. faith. He calls you to do two things, repent and believe the gospel. That's what he said. Put your faith in him. Only he can write your name in the book of life. End with this illustration. Uh, there's a story about a pastor and his wife. This is not a third-party pit. My wife wanted to make sure I said this. This is not a picture of us, but uh, it could be someday. I just want you to get this across. Sunday night couldn't come fast enough for Dr. Matthews, Pastor Matthews. it been a long day at church. They were looking forward to relaxing at home, and he plops uh, in his chair, his favorite chair. He starts surfing channels. His wife cleans up the kitchen, and she rocked back inside and said, Honey, I am completely exhausted and Dr. Matthews turned down the volume on the TV and he said, I had to preach two sermons this morning, preach a funeral this afternoon, I did another sermon this evening. Why are you so tired? And Mrs. Matthews replied wisely, Honey, because I had to listen to all of them under you. <laughs> Look, we aren't just talking here about a superficial unity that puts up with each other, just like this wife put up supposedly with her husband sermons. We're talking about being centered on everything in the gospel, and that's why we come together as a church. I love this church because yesterday we saw that in action. Dave prayed in our prayer group to thank the Lord, that the, 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 the unity that was in the, the, the church yesterday. Thank you for that prayer. Friends, we have a great unity here. Pray that unity stays. Pray, there are prayer guides. Some of you asked, what are the prayer requests? There are prayer guides out in the information rack. Feel free to grab one. The first prayer we have on there is prayer for unity and evangelism and holiness. Christian, can I ask you again? There's someone in this church you need to reconcile with. Non-Christian, you need to reconcile yourself with God. But as we close, I want to remind you that the gospel leads to eternal heaven one day, leads to personal and church-wide holiness today. Friends, we are called to walk that narrow way. We are called to walk after a godly example, wait for a coming Savior, witness to wonderful salvation, and work for a united fellowship. Is that your goal today? That's Paul's prayer. Look, if you're not, if you're a Christian here today, you said Darren, I- I've sinned. I, you know, you talked about how if you sin, you're not in Christ. Let me be very, very clear from the pulpit: you cannot lose your salvation. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ. But if you are in Christ, you will walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Yes, you will hit bumps. Yes, you will get off the the wagon at times. But is your desire, Christian, at the end of the day, for Jesus Christ? That is assurance of your salvation. If you have an idea of Christ and. Uh, we talked about, Becky and uh, Diana talked about this on the way, uh, we talked about a hand in the cookie jar. Are you that person that when, you, when God catches you in your sin, you're like the mom who says, don't take the cookies out of the cookie jar. Mom goes out of the kitchen, kid goes in the cookie jar, and what's mom do? Catches them, and what's she do? Slaps on the wrist, or whatever we do today in this society, but slap on the wrist. Mom, I'm so sorry, I won't do it again. Yeah, he's going to be right back in there with those cookies as soon as she turns her back. It's true a godly repentance salvation in Christ means that you will have sin you're not perfect christian but is your aim for jesus christ that is the true difference between those who say they know christ like those in paul's day and those who truly know christ do you know him today let's go before the lord in prayer god you are so good to us and father i thank you that we can go through this this book lord it is, it is it is daunting as a pastor to to teach a book, Lord, because there's so much to cover, yet so little time. But Father, I pray that whatever was spoken today, that you may use part of this or or, or all of it or a line out of it to your glory in someone's life today, including my own and my family. Father, I pray for those without Christ. I thank you so much. that We have visitors, that people are coming, but Lord, if there's any among us that don't know Christ, would you open their hearts to know the gospel? Lord, you love them so much in Christ. You absorb their wrath, Lord, and you bid them to to repent and believe the gospel. Father, I pray for our church. I continue to pray for the unity of this church that, Father, we're still in the honeymoon period of, of my coming and our family's coming that happens, it's a very natural progression, but Father, five, ten, however many years you have us here, Lord, that you would keep the gospel central at Tower V Baptist Church that a 100 years from now, we can look back and say, Lord, it's gospel-centered. Thank you so much for the faithful saints here at Young and Old who served yesterday, Lord. May that be the message we have is the gospel Lord, thank you that as citizens of your kingdom, we are to live holy lives. Give us the grace to do that, and you will, and you do. Thank you for that, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.